Welcome to The Bucket Problem, Episode 10. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and we are brought to you, as always, by Homefield Apparel. I will get it out of the way right off the top. Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. They just had a very successful launch of Michigan's Week 2 opponent, Washington, which means you probably have to like regain some home field magic by buying some Michigan gear. So so let's, let's get on that. Uh, I am happy to welcome in... Connor and Dan today to cover the uh, offense portion of the 2021 Michigan football preview, which at least uh, uh, hopefully won't be as uh, difficult to get through as last week's. Um, we've uh, we've looked each other in the eye and we trust each other and we've decided we don't need a signed contract to do this. There's, there's no contract. There's no signed <laughs> document. There does indeed to be. Uh, we're just going to... We're just going to go right ahead and do this. Um, <laughs> but first, uh, I have just alluded to news that we are going to uh, cover first. Uh, very briefly, because it is uh, mostly non-news. Um, the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 uh, announced some sort of alliance earlier today as of recording. We are recording this on Tuesday evening, August 24th. Um, I tuned in... I mean, first of all, they dropped a press release that basically said everything that they could have possibly said in the press conference, uh, except all the hilarious things that they ended up saying, which I appreciate, um, like right as the press conference was starting. And the press conference was a Zoom call between the uh, three conference uh, commissioners who have a combined like two years experience on the job and most of it's Kevin Warren. Um, who's the senior member among those three, which is really quite something. Um, they, I mean, there's no signed contract. <laughs> there's no signed document. Uh, they had, they announced like the press release contained a whole bunch of things about how they're going to like collaborate and provide, oh my God, this quote unquote Thought leadership. I did not read this as closely as I thought. That is a Ooh. horrifying phrase. Um, on various. Uh, I'm sorry, Connor. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I, 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 if there's one thing I think about when I think of Kevin Warren, I think about a thought leader. Thought that, leader. Man, <laughs> that man. That man can think. Yeah, I mean, like I. What kills me about this? So this is a college sports podcast, which means at least half the audience is attorneys. So you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what it's I'm true. talking about when I. It's it is true. true. Um, so you all know what I'm talking about when I say that. Like, I think Kevin Warren, you know, he's trained as a lawyer, and it, I'm sure a lot of other people involved with this are too. And like, he's get, they're giving quotes like, "If you ever need to look back at the details of a contract you signed, you entered into it with the wrong parties," which is like <laughs> so not what you want to hear from a lawyer. There's so much wrong with this. Oh, <laughs> uh, like how many days do we give this before it falls apart because also they plan to honor all current scheduling agreements which means like i don't know when this can start because michigan has some games scheduled out into the 2030s and i, I think they're very not alone among programs in these conferences in doing so this just feels like 100 percent like they they got together and they said, okay, we need to do something. We, we need to do something. And they just, they realized that, like, you know, once it really got down to it and 
they started like realizing that they all had their own um, pre-existing partnerships and commitments that they could not actually do anything meaningful <laughs> to combat the SAC, the SEC. So they just said, uh, yeah, we're all friends um, and we're against the SEC. I think this this quote unquote alliance, which, by the way, will fall apart the second that the SEC makes overtures to Clemson. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes. maybe not, no, but I. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't totally know what's going to happen. I'm not going to act like I do, but I, I find it hard to believe that uh, if the SEC made serious overtures to Clemson or maybe, you know, uh, inshallah, Ohio State, um, <laughs> that, uh, that, that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, th- that they wouldn't at least um, entertain those. But uh, regardless, this this whole thing is just defined in um, – in opposition to the SEC, and I, it is just an absolute nothing burger. There, there is nothing here of any meaning or substance. So, yeah, I don't like. I don't think anything's going to come of this. I do think eventually we could end up with like Northern Conference, Southern Conference after a really torturous process that might see Ohio State defect or threaten to defect. That's going to finally pushes it over the edge, whatever. And you know. I mean, as a Michigan fan, it would break my heart if we didn't play Ohio State every year. <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do with myself, but um, but I, think of the traditions. Here, yeah, exactly. So that's a good segue to what I'm really going to say, which is like I don't. I think Michigan will come out of conference realignment in the end looking fine because we are, for all of our sins and failures, one of like a dozen or so indispensable college football programs. Sorry, Michigan State, that's not you. That's us. Um, so I think Michigan will ultimately be okay um, just by dint of being a juggernaut. But I do think this is an example of like the worst impulses animating Michigan and by extension the Big Ten, which is to get really pious and precious about your virtues in college football, which has never for a second of its entire existence been like, you know, this virtuous dainty thing that people want to pretend that it is. And it's just frustrating to watch them kind of put this, you know, this dog and pony show on again, once again, for our benefit, I guess. I, I, I want to read this portion of the the press release because it speaks to what you're saying, especially with how it, it ends. Um, this is unfortunately where they dropped the providing thought leadership line. Uh, I apologize in advance. Um, the three conferences remain competitors in every sense, but are committed to collaborating and providing thought leadership on various opportunities and challenges facing college athletics, including student-athlete mental and physical health, safety, wellness, and support, strong oh, academic yeah. experience and support, diversity, equity, and inclusion, social justice, gender equity, future structure of the NCAA, federal legislative efforts, postseason championships and future formats. The alliance includes a scheduling component for football and women's and men's basketball designed to create new interconference games, enhance opportunities for student athletes, and optimize the college athletic experience for both student athletes and fans across the country. The fan the scheduling alliance will begin as soon as practical while honoring current contractual <laughs> obligations. Uh like are they fucking serious? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, that is God, so... God, they're just so up their own ass. I mean, my God. Like, 
divert. Uh, I'm glad that they. Oh, dude, I can't even. I, that makes every every sentence. Do you of like that how they ordered it? So oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm just. I just want to say, like, it's really brave of them to think of you know student athletes' health and well being, um, while just you know basically forcing them to into a gladiatorial combat for zero pay and not During guaranteeing any any level of you know future health care. Um, and you know, like not not thinking for like one second beyond like the the strict confines of Title IX about any women's sports whatsoever. I mean, just and, and you know, not not holding any coaches that have you know been found to you know be uh, virulent racists accountable in any way. It's just, I mean, it is so it is so patently ridiculous, and it does just make me it it you know we give the SEC and a lot of fans give the SEC a lot of crap. Because uh, they are, you know, nakedly um, just a football conference and they don't even really have the pretext of, like, uh, you know, the academic institution surrounding it. Um, But I want to say that I at least admire that because they know what they are. Um, And they are, uh, and they're not ashamed of it and they don't pretend to be anything else. And this is just so. I mean, just so unbelievable that they would try to, like, pass this off. So, anyway, I don't know. I, uh, I, I believe they ridiculous. also have contracts signed with Texas and Oklahoma, which uh, yeah. really stands in stark contrast to what is going on <laughs> yeah. with this whole alliance situation over here. I, I do want to note, like, briefly that Dan already did this, but just to prove that we're not total homers on this show by any stretch, <laughs> not only is the SEC sure. more honest, like, I hate the SEC, right? Yeah. I hate, every, like, they they drive me nuts. I hate, like, their dominance. I really dislike Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. But not only are they more honest about what they are, uh, which is admirable, they're also setting themselves up, like, they're very clearly just gathering as much money together as they can in anticipation of when they have to share some of it with the players, I think. That's, that's like, where they see things heading. And this whole alliance just seems like another, like, sort of mealy-mouthed hedging against, I don't know, ever paying the players. It's more, mealy-mouthed is a good word, more just sort of prevaricating about the student-athlete myth. And, like, it's so hastily thrown together, it's not really a strategic response to the SEC. I think the strategic response to the SEC will happen over the next couple of years. This is a joke, and... (laughs) <laughs> the thing that the Big Ten in particular should learn from the SEC is you've got to start by being honest about where the future is going. Where the future is going is is more money for players. I, I like. I want to agree with your overarching point, and I also am not sure they have even thought it through this far. <laughs> like, I, I really, no, I don't know fair. if they yeah. have thought beyond like, oh, we have to respond to the SEC. So, uh, forty-one schools, let's go. Yep, that's Ace. You're 100 correct, and that is the one thing I do want to point out about a lot of the discourse around this. It, it, we, we assume that these are like rational actors. These are empty suits in the purest form. Kevin Warren is it, it, just like Mark Emmert, and just like you know whoever else is an absolute empty suit that is just doing whatever you know, university presidents or athletic directors tell him to do, or whatever you know brings him the, uh, the the greatest amount of money in the next like quarterly report for the Big Ten Network. It, that is purely it. Like they are not, they have absolutely not even thought out as far as like, oh, what happens when the players actually do ask for the TV money, which they are clearly, you know, should and are owed, uh, you know, it is rightfully theirs. They haven't even thought that far out. Like there is not even any strategy here. They're just trying to like 
they're purely reacting um, to, you know, what the SEC is doing by, you know, like I said, they're just like, we have to do something, I guess. So here's, you know, this. Yeah. In conclusion, arrest all three conference commissioners for public masturbation and allow us to move on <laughs> to the uh, the offense portion of the football preview. Uh, if you missed last week, um, which uh, you should go back and listen. Uh, not all of the defense preview is as painful as you might believe. Um, we are going to use uh, pretty much the same format, except we don't have to discuss as much scheme stuff because Michigan is not overhauling it as much as they're, uh, I don't know, whating it, uh, leaning into, hopefully, what they are starting to to do. I, I don't know what they were doing before. Let's let's just hope it's, it's better. Um, anyway, uh, Connor is going to give the bullish case for each position group. Dan is going to give the bearish case. Uh, I am going to decide which one is more likely to occur. And then we are going to do the same thing for the offense as a whole at the end. Um, and before we, uh, uh, before Connor and Dan each give their cases, I will do a quick personnel rundown. So uh, you don't have to guard yourselves as much as you had to do for the defense, but uh, you might for a position for this position group, still uh, steal yourself a bit. Uh, welcome to quarterback. Um, at least it's a short list. Uh, the guys are 2019 four-star Cade McNamara, who has two significant appearances uh, from last season, a, an epic comeback victory against Rutgers, uh, after which he gave a rousing locker room speech, and a pretty disastrous start uh, in admittedly pretty rough circumstances in the overall scheme of the offense against Penn State. He is the presumed starter, uh, leads the competition as we stand in fall camp. Sounds like he is holding onto it pretty well at the moment. He is competing with uh, Texas Tech transfer Alan Bowman, uh, who's had some injury issues and also some uh, not being consistent enough to hold on to his job issues. Uh, but he at least has some Power 5 experience as a quarterback uh, and starter. Um he, the other main competitor to start is J.J. McCarthy, uh, the number five quarterback in the 2021 class. He was a five-star. There is also Dan Villari, uh, 2020 uh, low three-star we'll go with, um, who uh, might get some wildcat package looks if some of the uh, off-season talk is to be believed. Connor, uh, what is the upside case here? Okay, so I pulled up some numbers for this because I, I, I think, Ace, that you're going to be inclined towards going for the bear case here, but I actually want you to, like, hear me out on this one. Uh, no joke. Because, all right, let's start with Cade McNamara, right? I think people are misremembering Cade to an extent because of how terrible the team was last year, and he made his debut in the midst of that terror. He, in fact, made his debut at arguably the lowest point of the season, which was when Michigan was down big. To Rutgers. Talk about a team being down bad. Being down big to Rutgers <laughs> is down bad. That was really, really dark. Um, and and that was, as I've said in the chat, that was our Rohan has abandoned us moment for Michigan football. And then Cade McNamara came in and went 27 of 36, um, which is like, you know, good by pretty much any standard. Um, his, how many TDs did he have in that game? He had four touchdowns. Like, that's like, I don't care who the opponent is. I don't care if you're playing a high school. That's just good quarterback play. We all saw it. Like, we all know he was good in that game. And I realize Rutgers is not great. But, like, that was just good college quarterback play. Now, here's the other thing, right? Um, the next game was against Penn State. And Cade McNamara got hurt in that game. And I want to remind everyone that he got hurt early on. 
and he was four or five passing uh, with, you know, one batting completion, but still four or five and also threw a decent rush in there before he got hurt almost immediately. Then went out of the game. Joe Milton came back in. Joe Milton was also hurt and also bad. Cave came back in and was hurt and bad. But the point that I'm making here is that Cade has been good when healthy. He also was good against Wisconsin in the few snaps that he got uh, before the Rutgers game. So when we've seen a healthy Cade McNamara on the field, he's been genuinely good. And he's been like over a 75% completion rate passer, which is good for any level. Um, Like, I don't think that actually needs to be argued that firmly. There is a low sample size. And the thing with Cade McNamara is we think he has a low ceiling. He's probably not an NFL quarterback because he's kind of small. His arm's not very big and he's not an elite athlete. But we've seen him make the right decision. We've seen him run this offense such as it is. We've seen him put the ball where it should be on pretty much every play that he's been in, uh, which is more than I can say about any about the most Michigan quarterbacks under Jim Harbaugh. Let's put it <laughs> that way. So I actually don't think, like, I think we project Cade. I think you project him anywhere from adequate to pretty good. Um, I also think he could be higher up the ranks of Big Ten quarterbacks than we think, just because if you look at the Big Ten quarterback, this is a really bad year in the conference for quarterbacks. It's yeah, Michael it Penix. Rough. Yeah, Michael Penix, the Ohio State starter, will be a first-year starter, will probably look good because they have great receivers and everything. But then it's like, you know, Sean Clifford sucks. Uh, <laughs> Michigan State's quarterback battle is, like, should have kept Rocky Lombardi level bad, um, et cetera, and so on. So anyway, that's a really long I'm, – I'm sorry to give you guys all of that. Like, it's a lot of info. But I don't think – like, I think Cade could be pretty good and has been good when he's been on the field. And I will be quicker with the other two. Obviously, I think J.J. McCarthy should be QB too if they have a good offensive line. The one caveat there is you don't want to throw the future of your program out there if your offensive line is terrible. Hopefully it won't be. We'll get to that later. But that's a good backup. That's a backup you believe in. And if Cade is shaky at all or gets hurt, I think we feel okay about putting him out there. And then you have a guy, and this is the real strength of the room, you have real depth because Alan Bowman has started 19 Power 5 games. He's thrown 33 touchdowns for a Power 5 team. He's played football. Um, he may not be great, but like he's there, and that's an excellent QB3 to have. There actually aren't many teams in the country that have a QB3 that like with those credentials. Valari, like whatever, he's your fourth guy. <laughs> he'll have some he'll have some really annoying hey. uh. like I can't believe you're doing this to me. I can't believe the you're doing this to me. Yeah. yeah, because you're 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 putting me in a position where I can't say nice things about uh, my my fellow Italian uh, because I'm supposed to give the bear case. So um, I'll give this part of the uh, the, the bull case <laughs> yes. is that uh, I am personally excited to see the wild paisan package, and I think that um, I don't know. I there, there's gonna be some touchdowns falling off trucks, if you know what I mean. This season. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, yeah, so there's a lot. Also, Alan Bowman and Dan Valari have a podcast together, which is good vibes because if your QB3 and your QB4 are doing a podcast together, they're probably not like stewing about how resentful they are of the guys above them. So that's actually like a positive for the quarterback. Or it's going to be a great podcast. We'll find out. Yeah, or a really hilarious like, <laughs> podcast that will oh. make Jim Harbaugh Could you? Mad. It might not last <laughs> long, but it was really, really something. Could you imagine if, if they were just like, dude, this sucks, like, <laughs> just <laughs> it shitting sucks, on... Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That would um, be really... I mean, that would be national news. I'll, I'll, I'll stop here, guys. I've said a lot, but, like, I just want to drive home the point that, like, the data points we have of Cade McNamara when he's not, like, too hurt to be on the field are those of a good college quarterback. And that kind of is... And that and depth are the linchpin of my case for this room. 
So uh, I guess it's my turn now. I will <laughs> say that um, I, I'm not going to argue with the uh, depth, uh, the depth question here because I actually do agree that um, having a QB two that's you know five star, everyone you know I, I don't deny his talent. You know I, I will say he's you know obviously a freshman, so if he gets in, it's going to be a little bit rough. But having a five star as QB two and a uh, and an ex- a genuinely experienced QB three, um, as well as you know. A lot of teams are are using you know a, a wildcat like sort of jackhammer uh, type quarterback for short yard situations. You know that's that's good depth. So I'm not going to argue there. Um, what I'm going to argue about is the starter, um, which you know it seems like for all intents and purposes, Cade McNamara has been named as, um, and I he has had some moments. What he has not shown is uh, an elite NFL arm. He does not have the arm to you know they we talk about having. The arm to make all the throws. He does not have that. I think it's it's enough, but uh, it's it's not the type of arm that's you know going to be able to co- reliably throw, um, you know, deep comebacks and uh, you know really push the ball downfield without um, him him kind of winding up. Um, and the other thing he's not shown is really any mobility. Um, you know, he we talk about you know a quarterback can run, and yes, he can run enough to. You know, keep a defense honest as a uh, uh, you know read option threat, but he is not a threat to run the ball really to you know make anyone miss in the open field. Um, and if this Michigan offense is gonna be good, I think it is going to have to have a really solid running game. Um, and you know, I think as in, in a in a spread you know read based offense, which we are being told is is what we're supposed to be seeing. Uh, he's not really what you want as like a dual threat quarterback. Um, so what you're left with there is the upside is a uh, kind of a, a an underwhelming arm and not a whole lot of athleticism. And, you know, you're really just hoping that he's the kind of guy that can make all the right reads and can, you know, just put the ball where it needs to be and, and be a good distributor. And yes, he's had moments, but he has not shown that yet right um over uh over a a large enough sample size so you know there's some upside here i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna say that um i think Cade mcnamara is going to be bad but i'm just saying like we very much do not know what we have in Cade mcnamara yet um so i think the floor is lower than you know the floor is lower than we might like i'll admit connor uh connor did a pretty good job of talking me close close to the bullish case um but in the end i feel like i'm kind of giving myself the Cade mcnamara post-game ruckers speech of like what if he can fucking do it huh what if he can make all the throws and it's like i don't i don't know i don't i can't quite talk myself into it and then you get to a freshman and a guy who transferred away from uh, a place where he had previously started because he was probably not going to start again. And I'm sorry, but I have some memories of covering John O'Corn quarterback games, and it's going to take a while before I get over them. Um, so I think it's going to end up more towards the bearish case just because I don't know if the ceiling's there. And Dan does make a pretty solid point about how, at least given the way they're talking about how they're going to run the offense – this is not the ideal personnel group, even if you at least have a few a few bullets in the chamber in terms of guys that um, 
could potentially work out and at least be decent. Uh, I just think there's there's a certain ceiling there where, I mean, even in Connor's bullish case, the uh, lack of top-end quarterbacks in the Big Ten was mentioned. That brings us to running back, uh, which has uh, cleared up a little since uh, Zach Charbonnet um, transferred to UCLA. Uh, that was in part because he was pretty thoroughly outplayed by 2018 three-star Hassan Haskins, who has well outplayed his recruiting ranking at this point, averaged over six yards a carry in that offense. I don't think people realize <clears throat> how good he was. He is backed up um, by not quite as many bodies as were around last year, but uh, there's some pretty talented players. Uh, Blake Corum, uh, top 100 2020 uh, player, uh, Got on the field as a freshman last year. Notably, got received the first offensive touch of the season. Uh, a very interesting, uh, both running and receiving piece. Very similar to him is uh, West Bloomfield's very own Donovan Edwards, who is a true freshman this year. And in the same class is Tavier Dunlap, who was a relatively well-regarded three-star or a low four-star, depending on where he looked and. Uh, Given uh, running back is often kind of plug and play, that's that's somebody who may see the field. Um, so that's the group. Uh, Connor, uh, make the case for him. Okay. Uh, I'm really curious to see what Dan has to say here because, like, we all know where this is going. But I think <laughs> Ace, Ace already said it, which is uh, Hassan Haskins. The fact that he had 6.1 yards per carry on that offense last year has to be one of the most remarkable individual stats from college football last year. I mean, in all seriousness, uh, he's probably the toughest runner Michigan has had since Mike Hart, in all, all honesty, his new position mm-hmm. coach. Which, by the way, Mike Hart at position coach is a definite plus uh, for this group as well. Um, and Haskins will just probably be remembered as one of the most fun, like easy to root for Michigan players of the Harbaugh era, just because he is so tough-minded, like Ace said, outplaying his recruiting ranking. And no matter who Michigan is playing against, I don't care if it's Ohio State, Alabama, or the Baltimore Ravens, Hassan Haskins is going to drag some guys down the field with him. He's just that kind of dude. So we know what we've got there. Blake Corum is one of Michigan's most prominent head-to-head recruiting wins against Ohio State in the last few years. Uh, as Ace said, already got featured last year, both a running and receiving threat. Um, we love this guy. Like, his workout videos are scintillating. Uh, he is, I mean, I don't know what you say about him. Like, he's incredibly jacked. He's very fast. He's very shifty. He's very strong. Um you know, he could eat, if he was our RB1, I think we'd be feeling very good about ourselves. But as our, you know, RB1B or RB2, I mean, that's, you know, he's going to get a lot of carries. And it wouldn't surprise me if he even got more than Haskins, as good as Haskins is, or more touches total uh, once you count in receptions. And then Donovan Edwards is kind of like embarrassment to riches here because, like, he was, you know, considered one of the two or three best running backs in his class for a long time, for years. And that he got some, he had some injury trouble at West Bloomfield. And then everyone, like the two 24-7 guys, like Steve Lorenz, talks about how he surged back in the playoffs when they made their title run um, and looked like a totally different player. A player who was even better than a top two or three running back in the country. Like probably by the end of the year, there were a lot of scouts that thought Donovan had, um, that he was the number one running back in his class. And he looked like it at West Bloomfield too. He was just a man among boys. 
uh, out there. And he can, yeah, he can line up as a receiver uh, the same way that Quorum has done. He's got a lot of that in his game. He can do it all. I mean, he's that sort of do-it-all bell cow back who on this team is the RB3. We'll get a lot of touches, uh, probably receiving and rushing and, you know, some blocking duty. Because these guys are all very strong also. They can, you know, probably all develop into good blockers at best. Uh, Dunlap is a great RB4 to have. I think his future is bright. He reminds me of a lot of those kind of high running style Notre Dame running backs that we've seen. But, like, I could go on about this group. I just really think there aren't many better running back rooms in the country, if any, really. Um and if you can't get good, <laughs> a good run game out of these guys, it's the fault of someone other than your running backs, namely offensive line and coaches. I really expect these guys to do big things this year. All right, Dan. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I'm not going to even argue with um, the skill level. Uh, I've, I've made it known that um, Hassan Haskins is criminally underrated by his own fan base because he doesn't have those flashy runs. He creates a ton by himself. Um, I just want to make sure he gets his due respect on this podcast. Um, people need to respect Hassan Haskins. Um, Blake Corum, I've I've made it clear that I'm, I'm I couldn't be higher on. Um, and you know, if your 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 third is a Donovan is Donovan Edwards, a five star back, you know, that's a really really solid threesome. And I'm I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Uh, what I am going to say is that you know this running back room was just as, if not potentially more loaded last year, and um, they totally misused all of them. Uh, Chris Evans didn't get enough uh, receive. You know, Chris Evans did, they did not throw the ball to Chris Evans again. Um, and now, you know, he's out there killing it at Bengals camp. Um, and uh, they did not feed Hassan enough. Uh, he was averaging six yards per carry. And he sometimes, you know, was left on the, on the bench uh, for uh, Zach Charbonnet, who, you know, clearly was, was not as good. Um, and, and Blake Corum didn't quite get enough touches either, you know? So, I just Michigan has not these coaches have have not shown that they can appropriate appropriately use a, a running back's skill set, um, you know, a diverse skill set of of gosh, I'm sorry, a diverse running back room in terms of skill set. Yet, you know, they they really they didn't do it in 2018 when they had Chris Evans and and Cron uh, Higdon. Um, they 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 really didn't do it in 2017 when they had the same guys. Uh, you know, it, it's it is not. They have not used uh, these guys well, and I I think that these guys are gonna do big things um, in spite of that because they're just so undeniably talented. Um, but I I just don't think the this coaching staff um, is going to get the most out of them because that's you know what we've seen for for six years now. So, uh, I mean, as as much of a sobering case as Dan was able to make there. I, I am going to go with the bullish side here. I, I really like, I mean, Haskins, even if underutilized, average six yards to carry last year, they talk, they're they talking about, you know, trying to really get the running game going this year. It, it seems like they had issues. I mean, hopefully these will be fixed uh, with coordinating the run game between Ed Warner and the offensive staff, uh, you know, what Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh wanted to do. It just didn't seem like they, the three of those guys lined up with Tron Moore being a first year offensive line coach, even though he's going to have a hand in the game plan. Hopefully uh, it won't, it, it'll fall in line more with what uh, the coaches want. And he's, he's been on the staff, so he, he knows what they're kind of looking for. And I believe in my cart. So, and man, the, the, the talent level of the, of the top three is, is pretty fantastic. So 
Going bullish case there, uh, which brings us to wide receiver. Michigan has lost some talent there of late. Um, has also, uh, speaking of not utilizing talent, uh, boy, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins in the NFL right now, uh, you know, um, could have could have been throwing the ball a little bit more. That's all I'll say. Um the players at this position group who are likely to see the field, uh, Ronnie Bell, who's been Michigan's leading receiver, uh, despite coming in as a, a pretty unheralded three-star, largely because he was very focused on basketball until late in his high school career. Uh, Cornelius Johnson, a 2019 four-star, who, who came on strong last season when the ball was thrown remotely in his area. Mike Sander still, who was uh, kind of a slap bug or cornerback athlete, in 2019, came in, has worked uh, both on the outside and in the slot, uh, in part because Michigan had a pretty small receiving core last year. Uh, Jackson State transferred Dalen Baldwin, who was uh, a pretty sought-after player in the portal. Uh, Roman Wilson, an absolute burner from the 2020 class. A.J. Henning, ditto. Um, uh, Christian Dixon, uh, same thing before the 2021 class. And then Andrew Anthony, uh, another true freshman uh, who is from East Lansing. Um, this is another area where Michigan has uh, at least a fair amount of players to to throw at uh, what what spots they have available. Connor, make the case. Yeah, I, I want to start by saying I think Ronnie Bell is somehow still incredibly underrated, despite leading one of the most prominent programs in the in the nation in receiving. I think two years in a row. Um, he's like I. You know, we know Ronnie Bell. Like he is sort of a genius at getting separations. He's one of the most quarterback friendly receivers I've ever seen at Michigan in terms of like being able to react as plays are breaking down, which they do a lot at Michigan. <laughs> and he's he's the guy who can be that safety blanket. Also, like, you know, his athleticism is good enough to get him in the NFL. And my thesis with him is that he'll be like, you know, wide receiver five or six on NFL teams for like a dozen years because he's just that kind of like hardworking zen you know team leader guy that everyone loves um so i'm high on him but kind of he's a known quantity i think like among guys that are not yet on draft boards necessarily for michigan i think cornelius johnson is one of the surest bets to get there he's got great size he's shown good speed he's gotten separation down the field he's caught he's shown himself to be a real deep threat uh a guy who's been good at tracking the ball in the air uh, in sort of out muscling cornerbacks, get you know just that guy who gets results down the field that you need on a football team. Really high on him. I think he could you know he's a threat to take away Ronnie Bell's uh, receiving yards mantle this year. Um, I think fans are pretty aware of him. You know like Sanders still like the coaches love him. We haven't really seen it, and I'm not going to spend too much time making case for him because I really like Dalen Baldwin, who was tearing it up uh, in the swack. And Ohio State really wanted him. Like the fact that Ohio State wanted to transfer at receiver and Michigan <laughs> got him should tell you something like about what people think about Baldwin. He has genuine speed. He's got good size. He could be Michigan's best receiver. So there's three guys that I think could credibly end up being Michigan's best receiver, which is already a good spot to be in. Roman Wilson, like you said, he's a burner. He, he looked good for a true freshman last year on a totally broken offense. Um, I expect him to be in the mix. Henning is one of my favorite players in this team extremely good acceleration. I think you'll see him tear it up in the return game. I think he'll probably get more slot snaps than Ronnie Bell, even though Bell is maybe at his best in the slot, just because Henning is kind of that classic slot that we see a lot in the Big Ten, you know, kind of undersized, but absolute lightning in a bottle. Um, One of those guys who has, like, good measurables, but his game speed is just off the charts. 
Um, and Andrew Anthony is beginning a lot of hype and I'm, it's really cool to see an in-state receiver that we stole from Michigan state, uh, you know, supposedly be the next in line. Um, so like what this room has going for it is a tremendous amount of depth. It could really withstand a few injuries. Um, it's got, you've got a lot of interesting options, different ways you can deploy guys. Uh, you know, the key thing is we hope Michigan throws to these guys effectively, especially down the field and puts them in position to succeed. But if they, you know, if Michigan doesn't do that, I don't think it'll be the fault of the receivers. I don't think this is like, this is not the best position or receiver room in the big 10 because that's Ohio state with a bullet. But I think by the end of the year, this group will be in the mix for number two or three uh, in the big 10. Definitely one of the better groups in the country. As far as depth, I expect a lot of these guys to be drafted. And I think that both we'll put Ronnie bill aside. I would say that Cornelius Johnson, Taylor Baldwin and AJ heading all have a chance to be Michigan's like, you know, one or two biggest breakout skill players. And that's a good spot to be in. I think Michigan's very well situated here. So another situation where I am not going to uh, argue with the talent because I I agree with Connor. Um, I'm I'm really high on all those guys. Um, I, uh, I think, I think the only person I'm the only individual player I'm like quote unquote down on is, um, is Mike Sainer still, who uh, is kind of in the, the the Donovan Jeter camp of like I am sick of hearing about him in the off season because I just he I have never seen him do anything particularly impressive on the field but um, that's I'm sorry I don't mean to individually trash on him um, but you know what I'm what I'm gonna say is about overall what this uh, this group lacks we do not have a proven uh, downfield target real or necessarily um, you know Cornelius Johnson I think can be that guy. Um, and we're hoping that Dalen Baldwin can be that guy, but you know both of, both of those guys are going to have to stay, take a step forward. Um, and, and we don't really have you know an, an offensive coordinator. Again, you know I, I hate to go back to the offensive coaching staff that uh, has shown a willingness to really you know throw the ball downfield consistently and utilize that skill set. Um, we've seen a lot of a lot of short stuff, a lot of you know like swing passes. Um, and uh, and uh, like ten yard outs and curls and stuff like that and you know I just I feel like the way that that Josh Gaddis has shown that he wants to play uh, is not necessarily matching up with you know the the strengths of you know having a really athletic receiving core um, and uh, and then the other thing I would say is is just that. You know, I, I think that I think that it's it's really just a it's, it's a prove it you, you know thing at from at this point. Um, you know, I I don't deny any of these skill, and you know, I I think uh, it's pretty obvious that I'm struggling to make like a, a true bear case because I do like these guys on an individual basis. But you know, I I don't think that there is Michigan has not had a true like reliable uh, contributor at receiver. Um, since I guess you know, I mean, I it's weird to say Ronnie since Bell? Nico Collins. Yeah, I mean Ronnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ronnie Bell yeah, slander right. man. I know. I don't mean to slander Ronnie Bell. I actually, Ronnie Bell is in the Hassan Haskins camp of like players that don't get enough love. But I, uh, I'm talking about like a like a true outside receiver that you can just say, hey, go make that tough catch. Um, and you know that was Nico Collins, but they they again they did not throw him the ball enough. So I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit right now. What I'm trying to say is that. Uh, I I think that you know I think these guys all have a lot of talent, but I'm just not sure if they're gonna get the they're gonna 
you know, have the most production, you know, due to the fact that I, I don't think the offense necessarily, you know, has thus far catered to, you know, wide receiver skill sets well. All right, we're so. gonna we're gonna throw down a lifeline here and uh, and say that the bullish case wins out in large part because I think as Dan was trying to say, the the main case against the receivers is not really about the receivers. Um, it's mostly about the play calling or um, the design of the offense or the offensive line or the quarterbacks, and that's. Uh, a later section where we get into how this all comes together. So I, I, I really like the talent in this room. Uh, the Baldwin transfer, I think, has been somewhat overlooked as something that could be really, really important this year. Uh, and I'm actually at the point where I, I like Bell and Johnson and Baldwin enough where I think Roman Wilson and A.J. Henning might might have to kind of cool their heels a little bit this year Uh while waiting for an opportunity to get more snaps because there's going to be a pretty locked in uh, top three guys that you're not want to going to want to take off the field too much. Um, so I'm pretty optimistic about how those guys can do with the caveat that they need an offense that can get them the ball in positions, positions to succeed and they need a quarterback who can do the same. Before we move on to the rest of the offense, uh, it's time for our ad read. Uh, promo code bucket problem for fifteen percent off your first order from Homefield. Yes, I know y'all click uh, click the thirty second forward button. Homefieldapparel.com. Boise State is this week's big new Saturday school, so Homefield is is no longer uh, you know waging a, a personal attack against this podcast and uh, the program that it follows. Um, and also. We're going to temporarily forgive them for the whole Washington situation from last week because uh, they gave our 1,000th email sign-up uh, for the newsletter at thebucketproblem.com a free Michigan shirt. So uh, thank you, first of all, to everybody who has signed up so far. It's pretty remarkable to get to four digits this quickly. And thank you to Homefield for supporting us. So uh, this week, we're not going to be meeting. We're going to thank you. Um, so we appreciate it. And uh, once again, that is promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. We are moving on to tight end, which was a uh, not a position of strength last year. We'll go with that. Uh, there are four scholarship players at the position. Eric All, a four-star from the 2019 class who uh, had some drop issues last season. Luke Schoonmaker, uh uh, an East Coaster from the 2018 class, uh, Matthew Hibner, uh, who is a uh, one of the more well-regarded East Coasters uh, in the 2020 class, and then Lewis Hansen, who is yet another East Coaster and the most well-regarded of all as a recruit as a full-blown four-star in 2021. Connor, uh, they need a bounce back. Do you think they can do it? So I think the first thing to say is that you're totally right, that at least in terms of pass catching, uh, the tight end room was really bad last year. Um, and I'm not, not going to let the, the departed Nick Eubanks off the hook either because his blocking was like unreal levels of bad, uh, even though he caught some passes. So here's the good news. Um, Eric all did everything well last year, except catch the ball when it was thrown to him. Uh, he's shown great athleticism as a route runner. His blocking was like phenomenal. Um, honestly, at least at times, uh, and he looks like everything the coaches want him to be, except for the fact that he had a lot of really bad drops, which he started to clean up. And he did; he was a lot more consistent as the year went on. Um, 
So I think he will bounce back just because it would be very strange statistical anomaly if he didn't. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he just has, like, the perma-yips in games. I just, I hope not. And I think that, like, he still has a chance to reach his potential, uh, which is as, as, you know, an NFL drafty tight end. So that's one guy that's going to be in the field a lot because he blocks really well, et cetera, et cetera. Schoonmacher, we've seen some good things from. We didn't see a ton of him last year. Um, you know, when he's been on the field, he's looked pretty good. He's very large. He's been pretty smooth for a guy his size. Just seems like that sort of solid you know, kind of unremarkable tight end with maybe some more upside. Hibner was a pretty big recruit, I think, to 24-7, which is always interesting because they scout a lot more than other teams do. I think he, he was like a top, it's like ranked around 180-ish for them, which is very high for a tight end. Um, is he good? I, we haven't seen him in games. He has the, the potential to be. He was certainly recruited highly. Uh, and Lewis Hansen is, as a true freshman, uh, he is listed on the roster at 6'6", 250, that is a large man. We're getting into like Zach Gentry with more beef territory there. Um, and so, you know, what to say about this group? It looks like a solid group with good recruiting rankings and some upside. We just don't have enough in-game data points to really know, um, which is I'm doing a very jo- bad job making a bull case. Sorry. But I do think that like ultimately Eric all's chances of rebounding are very good because last year was so strange and anomalous and he had one of the more surreal seasons of anyone uh on that team honestly and you have a bunch of good guys behind him and probably at least one of them will emerge if i had to put money on it i might actually pick hansen despite being a true freshman to be a guy that surprises but i think schoonmacher and hibner have some some gas in the tank too um you know, it's the least important position on offense, if we're being honest. Michigan has been good at this, so I think the odds favor a talented group. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I'm going to bounce back uh, from my horrible uh, performance in the wide receiver section uh, <laughs> to for, for this uh, nice, easy layup in the tight end section. Um, uh, this, this tight end group has exactly uh, zero people that we know can uh, reliably catch a pass downfield and uh, only one that we know can block. Um, so, you know, it, Eric All is a very sufficient block tight end. I'm not even going to dispute that, um, which, you know, can, can be very reliable. Uh, but he, I mean, I don't need to tell you, he dropped a ton of passes last year. And I'm of the mind that um, hands similar to kind of vision as a running back is sort of something you have or you don't. Um, and I don't really think he's ever going to be... It'll be better this year because he literally could not drop worse passes than he did last year. But I do not think he's the type of guy that's going to have uh, hands to uh, make tough make tough contested catches in traffic, which is a lot of what you know makes you an elite tight end. Um, so he's, he's, I think he's pretty much going to be limited to you know just a, a blocking tight end for his time at Michigan. Um and then uh, if we look down the rest of the list, we've got um, Luke Schoonmaker, who, or Schoonmacher, Schoonmaker, uh, who is, you know, tall. That's pretty much all I can say about him. He has not shown the ability to uh, block or catch really yet. Um, and then a couple guys that haven't seen the field. So, you know, um, is this, is this again, Connor said, this is, the, this is the least important position on offense. It's kind of a nice to have as long as you've got a guy that can stand in there and, and you know, chip defensive ends and, and catch a pass in the flat. You're pretty much okay. But I, I just don't believe any of these guys are going to be difference makers this year. All right. I, uh, 
So part of the thing about this format is that picking the bullish or bearish case is also based on like where the bar is set and also where the arguments were set. And I think Dan went a little bit too hard on the negative case, uh, which might surprise some people because tight end is much maligned. But I don't agree with that assessment of Eric Hall. Uh, I, I mean, the drops are certainly concerned, but I don't think they're a concern in the way where he's not going to be able to go up and get passes downfield. First of all, he did a little bit of that last year. Uh, second of all, he did quite a lot of that both in high school and at high school camps uh, where he really impressed as a jump ball guy against tough tough competition and was talked about as somebody who was actually a very reliable receiver. And last year we were talking about a very small sample. And when he came to Michigan, I mean, one of the things that was discussed was should he be a wide receiver because he is super athletic for a tight end and very tall and, and has the profile of somebody who could line up in the slot and cause, cause some problems that he's been a passable to good blocker over his career has been a really, I would say pleasant surprise and Michigan really only needs one tight end. They might not even need any depending on the personnel that they throw out there. So I think given where the bar is at, uh, given what people are expecting from all after last season, uh, I'm actually going to choose the bullish case here. Um, so, man, I stole that one like Michigan State last year on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say this wasn't necessarily based on how strong the argument was made <laughs> for the bullish case, but I didn't expect Dan to go so hard against Eric Hall as, as even having the potential to get to to contribute because uh, the potential I think is pretty obvious. <laughs> The, the, that Michigan State game uh, may not have ever been stolen if Eric All had caught, you know, a pretty easy third down conversion. So Dan, you should I, stop now. One play, once again, Dan. One play. <laughs> once again, your negativity play. has come back to bite you, dude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh there my God, is. I can't. All right, you know what? I'm being forced into this role. It is not natural to me. So. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Connor has too many good vibes going for him to to give you the. To give you the positive role. It's it's just how it fits. Um, All right, offensive line, I am not going to run through all of the names because there are a lot of them. Uh, But your presumed starting five is probably going to come from, well, we'll we'll go with the guys who are seemingly locked in. Uh, Ryan Hayes is going to start at tackle. Uh, He was a four-star in the 2018 class. Uh, Pretty high upside guy. Uh, one of those kind of high school tight end sized dudes who just gets to build up and, you know, the, the Taylor Lewan type uh, that we have come to know and, and love at Michigan. Uh, Andrew Stuber, who actually came in way back in 2017, he's been here a while, um, will play either tackle or guard. He has been pretty solid uh, at either spot. Uh the same could be said for Carson Barnhart. Uh, he could he could line up probably more likely on the interior, but he also has the potential to kick out to tackle if necessary. I would guess that he starts at guard, however. Um, the interesting competition is definitely on the interior. Uh, Zach Sinter, a 2020 four-star who saw the field as a true freshman last year, which is uh, given, especially given how many players he had to pass on the death chart to get there uh, is a really good sign, and he has been the uh, 
one of the stars of the offseason, uh, at least in terms of receiving hype from the coaching staff. He'll almost certainly start at either guard or center. Chuck Filiaga has experience uh, starting at guard. He's another player who's been around seemingly forever. He was in the 2017 class. Again, Barnhart might start on the interior. Andrew Vistardis, a former walk-on who's kind of got, you know, the ability to download the offense and, and run the line, kind of touted as his main trait. Um, while he is a little undersized, it seems, for what they might be looking for here, um, he has at least starting experience. Backups on the line, uh, real quick, you've got Trent Jones, a 2019 four-star, Jeff Percy, a 2020 four-star. Uh, those guys are prob- uh, almost certainly tackles. Uh, Nolan, Rumler, Nolan Rumler, a 2019 four-star. Uh, Reese Atterbury, a 2023 star, who's kind of a center-projected player. Greg Crippen is coming in this year, could contribute early. Uh, maybe. We'll see. It'd have to be a Zenter-type situation. Um, same goes for Raheem Anderson. And... I said I wasn't going to run through all the names, but I pretty much have. Uh, sorry about that. Connor, go ahead and make the case for why this offensive line, which is also now under a new coach in Sharon Moore, uh, could be pretty good. Yeah, so, you know, Michigan fans remember offensive lines throughout most of the 2010s as being quite bad and a problem. And even when Harbaugh got here, uh, very thin to the point where injuries could derail seemingly entire offenses uh, if one guy went down on the line. And I think one of the really great things that happened under the Ed Warner regime was for a few years now, Michigan has recruited wave after wave of guys that I really like and the scouts really like. There's sort of a consistent wave of four stars um, that, you know, are really suited to their roles and that I, you know, I just love the way they've recruited this position. And now those are handed over to Sharon Moore. So the recent history here, of course, is that 2018 was a good line. 2019 was an elite line that sadly got underutilized for a few reasons. <laughs> Shea Patterson. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then 2020 was not a very good offensive line. And we can speculate about why that was. I think youth was undeniably a big factor. I think whatever generalized rot or failure to prepare infected literally every aspect of the team might have been an even bigger factor because that whole team didn't seem like they'd practice. And especially when you have a young offensive line, which is, you know, one of the most cerebral units on the team and has to gel and all of that. Like, that's all very delicate. But here, you know, you return most of the guys from last year. Um, you know, Zach Zinter being a guy that I would headline this group with. Michigan seems to believe he's their next, like, you know, potential first round pick as an interior offensive lineman. Like they see, say, they seem to put him on a level with guys like Ruiz and Onwenu who immediately popped in the NFL. We don't know that he's that good yet, but like I, the coaches are pretty much locking him in as that level of guy. Um, so I'm willing to believe that, you know, with a little bit of skepticism, uh, a little bit of guarded, guarded optimism, I guess. Um, other than that, like Ryan Hayes. Yeah. I mean, we've got a locked in starter at left tackle, you know, that's really important. We haven't seen enough of him, but like I, I believe in it. Like if he weren't good at left tackle, there's enough guys on this team to give him serious competition that hasn't happened. Um, and then there's like you know a pretty big mix of guys. Stuber is a multi-year contributor who is just a stalwart, probably like a mid to late round draft pick type guy. But like we know what he can do. He's been a part of good offensive lines in the past. So you, ha- I think you have to believe in him. 
Keegan came on last year and looked very good. Again, Ballyhooed recruit. That's a major theme with this group of guys. A lot of them are Ballyhooed recruits. Carson Barnhart, I thought, played fairly well for such a young guy last year. True freshman. Um, or was he a redshirt freshman? Whatever. But, like, for a very young guy, did pretty well. May not even start. And I think that, like, the major thing I would say is you have a few dudes that I expect to be either stars or borderline stars, like Zinter, Hayes, um, Stuber, and then a bunch of guys in the mix where, you know, injuries will not derail this line. Because if Zinter starts at center, for instance, and let's say Keegan is another guard and Keegan goes down, Zinter would slide over, Vastardis is like a sixth-year guy would probably slot in at center, et cetera, et cetera. There is like serious shark teeth ready to go on this line, I think, in a way that is rare for the vast majority of college football programs. And there's too many guys for me to talk about all of them and how much I like them. But, like, I, you know, while this offensive line is not a surefire thing, and while offensive lines are always kind of a question mark because there's so many intricate things that can go wrong there, this is a very talented group and a very deep group. I think it's hard to dispute those two facts. And they return a lot of snaps uh, many of those snaps, those experienced guys may not even be starting, but we'll probably see the field in some capacity. I just think you have to believe, given all those factors, um, and also the reports out of camp are good, by the way, that this group is gelling. Like, I think you have to believe, hearing all of that, that Michigan's chances of going back to more of like, maybe not a 2019 elite level, but a 2018 good level are quite strong. To your point about uh, the number of players, I believe I forgot to actually read off Trevor Keegan's name while running into this, uh, leading into this. And he is uh, a 2019 four-star, well-recorded player who might start a guard. Uh, so, uh, Dan, what's the flip side to this? I, I think I know where it's going. Yes, I mean, no, I, I appreciate Ace, you know, you making part of Connor's point for him. It's, <laughs> yeah, you it's good that we've got it. It's good that we've got an unbiased judge here. Um, you, I never claimed to be unbiased. I'm just a judge. Homers, homers. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, again, another situation where I'll, I'll kind of concede part of Connor's point that I, I do like the depth here. I like that they've recruited all that stuff. Um, the main point that I'm going to make here is that we have exactly – I will give you – one half of player that we like know is good based on on-field experience, and that is Andrew Stuber, who has been, I'm not even gonna say a stalwart, he's been serviceable and he's going to be experienced and he'll, he, he's big and, and, and experienced and he'll probably move some people, so I'll give you that one. The other four positions, you know, we know Ryan Hayes, we know, um, uh, sorry, Keegan, right? Or I'm, I'm, I'm take this out. Zinter, sorry, Zinter. I all these like big, big, <laughs> big, you know, farm uh, corn fed <laughs> boys kind of like blend into like blend into each other. Um, so, so we know Zinter and we know Hayes are going to be starting. Hayes has a lot of potential. I've I've said that I'm high on him, but we have not seen him, you know, be legitimately good on the field. He was he in his first, you know, true year starting, he was really off and on last year. Um and Zinter uh, you know, was again, you know, kind of a part-time starter last year that we did not see put it all together. You know, I trust the coaches that they, they believe that those are two of the 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 three best. But we have not seen them do it against Big Ten level competition, and the other two spots are potentially, you know, are 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 still undecided. So you're basically take we have four total unknowns, and you know, heck, maybe two of those will be really two of those will be hits. But you you really need at least four guys to be 
uh, to be really good and really solid to have a good offensive line. And you're basically taking, you know, four unknowns plus, you know, one veteran, and you're putting that all under the tutelage of a guy that has never coached offensive line before at any level. Um, in Sharon Moore, you know, was kind of known as more of a recruiter before this year. And, uh, you know, offensive line is one of the positions where I, I really feel like pretty much every assistant in college football, besides the offensive defense coordinator, in my opinion, should just be a, a recruiter first and foremost. But offensive line is the one exception because it you do need to be able to have the experience to know how to teach things and to really get five guys to um, execute blocking schemes in one and, and know how to adjust on the fly and and have that experience. And Sharon Moore doesn't. So you're putting a, a relatively unknown offensive line under the tutelage of a guy that has not coached offensive line. And I think that as the season goes on, they will get better and eventually they might look quite good. But I would not be surprised if this offensive line struggles out the gate, um, you know, in, in picking up picking up blitzes and just IDing their blocks, and 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 really doesn't start gelling until later in the season. And by then, you know, I mean, there, there's some pretty pivotal games early in this schedule that they're going to need to be dialed in for. So um, that that's my bear case on the offensive line. That is a much fairer bear case than the one you gave for the tight ends. I will give you that. Um, <laughs> I uh, am I just trying to rile Dan up now? We'll see. Uh, <laughs> I this is a tough one because I am skeptical. I will say of of more as an offensive line coach. Uh, that was a move that felt like. I mean, it's got some upside, but it's also got some serious downside. At, at the same time, I, I think, uh, especially in college football. Um, it is admittedly hard to say this as a Michigan fan, but you got to trust the talent at some point. And uh, I'm looking at this list, and there are a ton of four stars, a ton of four stars. And one of the guys who isn't a full-blown four star uh, is the most proven offensive lineman that the team has, and Andrew Stuber. Uh, so I I I think they're going to have. A solid baseline level of play. I, I think it might be something, especially if Zinter ends up taking over the center position from Pistardus, then I think you've got uh, some serious upside there in terms of just um, the beef that they can they can put on that line and, and move teams with. And yes, the depth uh, that they have behind it, um, where an injury at pretty much any position is not going to be catastrophic, like we have seen on past Michigan lines. Um, and we have also seen... I mean, if you think back to the kind of early Harbaugh changeover from that 2015 line, which had some uh, upperclassmen who topped out at relatively average uh, and then shifted over to a relatively unproven but talented group, and that group was quite good quite quickly. So I think that is uh, it could be a relatively likely outcome for this line, even though they're not replacing as much on the upperclassmen side from last year uh, since Jalen Mayfield just left early and was good. Um, but last year, I think you can kind of throw out to a certain extent for a lot of reasons. And I feel pretty decent about this line as long as they get a decent baseline level of coaching. And while Moore has not coached offensive line before, he was a pretty good offensive lineman himself at Oklahoma. So this is somebody who does – 
it's not like he's unfamiliar with the technique. Um, he knows what alignment is supposed to do. He knows, um, he knows the concepts. Uh, I think I'm at least hope that's not going to be a disaster, uh, which brings us to, uh, the cases for and against the offense as a whole. This is where we figure out not just whether the talent is up to snuff, but whether it can all come together. So, Connor, uh, do you see it gelling in a way that, let's be honest, it has not for Michigan on the offensive side of the ball in a very frustrating way in a little while here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can't make a, a good bull case here without starting by admitting the obvious, which is that under Harbaugh, I mean, and, and going back before Harbaugh, Michigan hasn't put together an entire season of good offense for a very long time. Um, there have been patches. Like I was thinking recently about the later part of the 2019 season, which even though Shea Patterson, we've, we've talked a lot about his issues as a quarterback, that, that team was still talented enough and the offense they were running by the end of the season and their game plans made enough sense that that offense was good in the latter half of that year, um, even against teams like Alabama. Uh, you know, so... It, we've seen it for stretches. We've seen it for games. We just haven't seen it over an entire season. And so I think it's reasonable to be skeptical that we'll see it. I will say this. I don't think that there are any excuses for the coaches in terms of personnel. There are definitely better personnel groups on offense in college football. Are there even 15, are there 15 of them? I don't think so in the entire country. Are there even 10? Quite possibly not. When you look at the, like, on this offense, the talent is distributed very evenly across position groups, which as we discussed, is a major problem with the defense. The defense doesn't have that. But there's depth and there's upside in every single position room on this offense. And there's also experience in every single position room um, to some to varying degrees, but to some degree there is. There are upperclassmen leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And the frustrating thing is we don't really know exactly what the offense will look like because they keep tinkering with it. Last year was a pretty unhelpful data point. Um we can call it some form of power spread, B spread. It's got some spreadish elements with some pro style. Power. Again, this is the frustrating conversation. It's like we don't really know what Michigan is trying to do some of the time, right? Or a lot of the time. But, you know, if we assume that Jim Harbaugh and his staff are being smart about having to turn something good in this year to save their jobs. <laughs> and well, I mean, again, this is this is the honest bull case, and we assume that, that like there's something, there are good things happening on that front, and we say the personnel does not give them any excuses, like whatsoever. I really don't think the personnel like provides any. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing to excuse a bad offense from um, bad job from the coaches here. Then I think you know if we say that that like Cade McNamara is the kind of heady QB that makes good decisions, like impeccable decisions most of the time that Harbaugh has been looking for. And that they have the you know the great running back room and beefy offensive line that they want to sort of build outward from their you know beefy run game, et cetera, et cetera. You've got the guys, and the question is, can Michigan you know put together a good offense before like game seven when they're already you know, however many games in the hole on their record? Um, I am hopeful. I am hopeful that that this will all work. You know as Jim Harbaugh tries to save his job and an entire era of Michigan football. I do think that Dan's task is easier because all Dan has to say, spoiler alert, is that it will look like what we've seen in the past. But I don't mm -hmm. think it has to. And I think the personnel are good enough that this can be a good offense. It was a valiant effort, Connor. 
<laughs> I did my best. <laughs> Connor sounds like uh, like an economist when they're like, if we assume uh, 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 ideal market conditions or whatever, it's like <laughs> that's like never the case, and that's why you know all of Econ One Hundred and One is a sham. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, and uh, and then he also tried to pull the Eminem uh, Eight Mile, where he's like he he uh, tries to make like the disc case for before I can say it. But um, I was trying to help you, and you're just like trashing me over here. This is not very nice, Dan. <laughs> well, you know what? It wasn't. Hey, very Dan nice actually the... picked up the bike, so you know. <laughs> yeah. The first the first hour of this podcast wasn't very nice to me. So you know what? It's all coming back around. Um, uh, so I think you know it's it's been no it's been no secret that I've struggled to make a lot of um, individual bear cases uh, for specific position groups in this offense. And honestly, you know, I, I hear myself, I hear Connor, and I, I listen to him, and I, uh, I I find it really hard to argue with really any of the individual position groups that he's you know that he's talking about. I don't think it's um, uh, wrong to think that there is an NFL player or multiple NFL players at every position group on this offense um, at all. Uh, so, you know, but ultimately, I think that, you know, it, especially on the offensive side of the ball, on defense, you can get away with being talented and, and you know, you can play man-to-man and you can and you can rush the passer and the talent really does shine through. On offense, you need both. You need the talent, but... The talent is the most important, but the scheme is... It just cannot come together without a coherent scheme. And every year under Jim Harbaugh, we have seen the same thing. Uh, with, the, with the exception of, of 2016, to be fair. But every year we've seen the same thing where they, they come out and they think they want to run one thing. And they find out that the guy that they haven't taught it the right way or the guys just can't hack it or it doesn't fit you know, their personnel. And they have changed midseason. They did it in 2015. They did it in 2017. Uh, and they did it in 2018 and 19. And, you know, I mean, 2020, they didn't even get to that point because they only played six games. <laughs> but... Every year they have come out of camp thinking they can run one thing and then having to, like, you know, uh, change it halfway through the year to get something that, you know, halfway works before it, that too gets, you know, d- dismantled by Ohio State. And I just, at a certain point, like, we can't just say, oh, well, you know, if, 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 the, if this staff figures it out, it's like, well, why would they figure it out? You know, I mean, this is, this is year seven now. And the, the data that we have seen so far, you know, as much as I would love to believe that, you know, Josh Gaddis is really going to turn the corner and, and we're going to see speed and space, I, I just, I don't understand, you know, what are we waiting for here? You know, it's, we have not seen a coherent offense that makes sense where the running game and the passing game mesh together, where, uh, you know, talented players are used to their, to their max abilities. And, uh, you know, and, and most importantly, you know, the one case I actually did win in, in the individual arguments, we have not seen uh, consistently co- good or even competent quarterback play. Um, so, you know, all of those things are patterns under Jim Harbaugh. And I don't necessarily see why, you know, any of those things would, would change in, uh, in year seven. Um, happy to be proven wrong. Uh, but, you know, that is the bear case. <laughs> Yeah, Dan, uh, you get your moment of redemption here because I cannot disagree with the argument that we have seen 
certain patterns under Jim Harbaugh that despite the individual talent on this team, uh, make it difficult to believe that things are going to come together in a way that uh, gets the most out of that talent or even if you're remotely close to the most out of that talent until we see it. Uh, generally in these big picture cases, I, I like to kind of take a step back and, and try to look at it how, you know, someone who's more like a a Big Ten fan or a national analyst who's who's taking a, a bit more of a thousand foot view um, would look at things. Because I think sometimes when you, especially when you've tracked these guys all through their recruitments and everything and watch their high school films, you can really talk yourself into a lot because you see the talent, you see the potential and, it, and it, you can, you can really, um, when you're this close to it, it, it's, it's definitely easier to talk yourself into things. And I think that's in part why coaches sometimes get to the season and are rather shocked that they're actually not very good. Um, which has seemed to happen to Jim Harbaugh over and over again. Um, but if I'm looking at this from, you know, that kind of as objective as I can be big picture perspective, we're in year three or year two and a half or whatever you want to call it after the 2020 season of Josh Caddis. And we really do not know what a Josh Caddis coordinated offense looks like. We also don't know if Jim Harbaugh is actually capable of handing over the reins of his offense. And we have no idea what to expect out of the offensive line coach. Uh, and the guy who just left, yes, maybe did not get along with Jim Harbaugh, but uh, Ed Warner is one of the best offensive line coaches of the last generation of college football. Um, so maybe he wasn't a fit here, but maybe that's more of a Michigan problem than an Ed Warner problem. So... And also uh, another point that Dan made that I can't really argue with is that no matter how much talent is in the quarterback's room until Jim Harbaugh uh, gets very good quarterback play out of somebody who is not Andrew Luck or Colin Kaepernick, uh, I'm, uh, you know, less Jake and less kind of... Yeah. I mean, yes, Jake Rudock, I was almost going to mention him, and that was going to be like, he only got him in his fifth year. Sorry. So sorry. he had been coached up elsewhere. But, at you know, someone was going to do it, so thank you, Connor. Uh, yeah, uh, we we basically had one season of, of solid quarterback play in Harbaugh's time at Michigan, and it has been from a grad transfer in, his, in Harbaugh's first season at Michigan. Um and a guy who had shown a pretty decent baseline to play over at Iowa. Um, so as much as I want to believe in Cade McNamara, as much as I want to throw on the Cade McNamara Rutgers post-game speech and just go what if with this offense, um, there's just the, the Harbaugh coaching staff factor um really, really worries me and, and holds me back along with the uncertainty of quarterback. So, yeah, unfortunately, I have to take the bearish case. Uh, before we roll on out, we have picks to make because there, or a pick to make, because there is Big Ten football this weekend. <laughs> and, well, we're going to call it that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nebraska at Illinois. <laughs> um <laughs> There you go. That's a football game. That'll whet your appetite <laughs> for September. Um, this this opened with Nebraska favored by nine and a half. 
with a uh, minus 400 uh, muddy line. That is some serious juice. And the total uh, set at 55.5. That spread has dropped. Nebraska is now favored by just seven. That money line is now at minus 270. Um, that minus spread for Nebraska is actually juiced to minus 105, uh, so a little bit in the better's favor. Um, the over-under has dropped half a point to 55. Uh, I, I, I don't know if we want to pick specifics about how this football game is going to go, because good Lord, who the hell knows in week one with these two programs involved. But, uh, Dan, we'll start with you since we've been starting with Connor uh, all evening. Uh, what are your picks for this game? Um, so I, Nebraska, or Nebraska burned me uh, pretty much every game last year um, because I, I, I kept betting on Scott Frost and he kept letting me down. Um, I, I, part of me wants to keep betting on Scott Frost here because I just... Why? <laughs> because, only because Illinois is going to be awful. They're they're great. They're doing a whole new a whole new coaching staff. This is going to be a down year for them anyway. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I think at the very least Nebraska can run the ball over these guys. But I got I got to learn my lesson. Um, I'm going to take Illinois in the points. Uh, so Illinois plus seven will be my pick. All right. And do you have any thoughts on the total, or do you want to skip oh. that? Uh, I thought we were um, okay. What I done? over under fifty five. Uh, let's go under first game of the year. It's going to be a mess. I, I like that. Uh, very swift analysis, Connor. Uh, <laughs> your picks. Yeah, I mean, I said this in the chat before I'd seen this line. I don't need to see a line. I'm taking Illinois. Nebraska sucks. Scott Frost sucks. Uh, I really like whatever it is. I'm taking the Illini. Uh, even if their QB two is direct snap to receiver again, um, Brandon Peters is he is he back? He's back, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I have a hot take about Brandon Peters, which I will keep under my hat for later when Michigan actually loses a game. But uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, I'm taking Illinois here. I'm also taking the under. I'm a little bit mad that Dan uh, stole my thunder on this, but like, come on. I, I don't care what kind of offense these teams are running. It's Nebraska Illinois in August, like it's going to be a rock fight. We all know it's going to be that. So yeah, 55 and a half, no way under. All right. Um, I may have been inclined to uh, make exceedingly similar picks for exceedingly similar reasons as you guys, but I also want to give the case for the other side because I might actually talk myself into it while I'm doing it. Um, first of all, Nebraska does have some talent, uh, especially I mean, Adrian Martinez has not worked out as they hope, but they do have some talent in that backfield between him um, and, and the the backs that they have. So, I, I mean, I do think there's a little bit of, like, Nebraska has publicly embarrassed themselves several times while there's some newfound optimism for Illinois because they are no longer coached by Lovey Smith trying to make the, like, early 2000s Tampa Bay Buccaneers happen again. Uh in college in 2020. So I, I, I do think um, we may be overlooking, uh, or at least uh, the way the betting market is looking right now, might be overlooking um, that Nebraska at least has some stability here that Illinois does not. And on the total side, uh, see, 
it, Dan is writing down in our document right now that I am picking Nebraska, and I am ready to tell you that is not yet what I'm committing to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am still talking my way through this. As for the over-under, I am actually uh, going to do a little contrarian overpick here because we have had the line move down half a point, and I think one thing that people underestimate in terms of the sloppiness of uh, – week ones is that that sloppiness can very much happen on the defensive side of the ball. And these are two teams that have not exactly proved themselves defensive stalwarts. Um, that said, I've tried my talk to talk myself into Nebraska, but boy, uh, taking Scott Frost and seven points. Uh, I just think there's enough uh, there with Illinois in terms of, I mean, I really think Lovey Smith did a terrible job there. So while Brett Bielema not may not be like a super high ceiling hire, I think he's going to bring a level of competency to that defense that justifies um, going with the points here. So I will take Illinois. Um, one thing that uh, I also wanted to add into our, um, yes, there will be weekly uh, uh, pick segments this year, is whether we'd actually bet these or stay away from them, because that is a very important uh, part of betting. Uh, I think given that uh, all three of us um, either firmly picked Illinois or attempted to talk ourselves out of it and then did it anyway, that Illinois plus seven, if you can still get it there, uh, that, because that, that line might keep moving, uh, especially with like, did Scott Frost get COVID? <laughs> it sounds like he, he that sounds he right, should, but yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I am I am looking this up right now. Um, okay, Scott Scott Frost does not have COVID. He's actually said some decent things about it. But he will. You can it. write that down now, yeah. Okay, but they are under investigation for holding secret practices that the, the Nebraska administration was not supposed to be able to track last year while they were supposed to be under all of these COVID restrictions, and they still sucked. Um, so... Nebraska practicing legally, one presumes this year, although maybe with more analysts than you're allowed to have on the field, which is a thing I think that everybody, including Michigan, does. Um, I think Michigan has also maybe uh, been accused of doing that. Um, yeah, I just I, I cannot talk myself into this Nebraska program. And while Illinois has been down very bad, I do actually have a little bit of belief in them. Um, so Illinois is a play under over um, totals in week one scare the crap out of me because it, it you just do not know what kind of sloppy game you're going to get. That would be a stay away from me. Um, all right. I, I know we have run relatively long. Uh, Dan had promised to read uh, Apple Podcast reviews uh, if people gave them to us, and a lot of people did. And thank you for doing that because that is really nice uh, to get the podcast, you know, Moving up those those charts and uh, hopefully getting the notice of uh, um, sponsors and whatever for for the podcast. We will hopefully have some news on on stuff along those lines soon. I can't really say anything more. Um, but uh, a lot of you guys responded, and we do not want to spend half an hour reading these. So, uh, <laughs> Dan, pick pick one or two uh, favorites. We will we will try to get through this uh, without being painfully long here. 
Greatest podcast ever, Fred Jackson. A panel of experts has been unable to determine which of the hosts, Ace, Alex, Connor, and Dan, is the most handsome. Fred Jackson has rated them all Robert Pattinson, but fast. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, a fine Michigan sports podcast by uh, Generica Applauser. Um, <clears throat> these fellows had a widely successful program on another podcast network and went rogue to start this show, which was originally launched as an oral history of the movie The Bucket List. <laughs> now Dan and his sidekicks, Connor, Alex, and Ace, discuss the latest and greatest artisan small batch college t-shirt designs. Uh, during breaks in the action, they also discuss current events in the University of Michigan sports. Good vibes, must listen, A++++. Um, <laughs> this one from Jackson Cox, MSU. Uh, I'm a 67-year-old janitor from, from the East Coast at a school called CB West, and this is my eighth custodial job in the last five years. I have never heard of a podcast before. My grandson told me about them and got me to where I am today. Oftentimes, as a janitor, I have to haul many buckets, sometimes three, four, five buckets at a time. But that, that's hard to do when I consistently would drop them and make a mess. When I saw a podcast called The Bucket Problem, I thought it might be able to teach me better ways to grip multiple buckets at once. After just a few episodes, I was already better at my job than I thought the bucket problem, and I thought the bucket problem was resolved. But now I'm a different now now I'm a different kind of problem. I stopped at my local YMCA to shoot the basketball like I used to when I was a boy. I got recruited by Judd Heathcote, but hurt my knee. Uh, could have gone pro. Anyways, I joined a game of pickup and immediately knew I was different. The clumsy janitor I thought I had left behind was back. I couldn't stop dropping buckets three, four, five in a row. It was wet from wherever I threw it up. It was Cassius Winston versus Michigan in 2020 type star like <laughs> in just about oh. 20 minutes of play. This podcast won't solve your bucket problem, but it will make you one. Highly recommend if you are a janitor, hyper online Twitter user, or a fan of the only school that ever that allows their analyst to coach on the field. <laughs> if, if you like that kind of disgusting behavior, you're going to love the bucket problem. Um, so that'll be the last. I will get to everyone else's because I promised. Um, Jackson, uh, my, my friend, from, my friend from high school. I, I very much appreciate that uh, from a from an MSU alum. Um, you know, who knows why you went to MSU out of state? But uh, you know, great, great review. Um, that was great. Thank you, Jackson. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, thank thank you all for the review. Thank you for rating and reviewing. Please rate, review, subscribe. It does help us out on the uh, leaderboard. So yeah, there there is one here that is headed. Um, almost but not defamatory from Stockton Bullet that I'm not going to read. <laughs> you, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts if you want to read through that one. But uh, I, uh, we do deeply appreciate um, all of your five-star reviews. They have been very nice to have and have uh, uh, pulled the podcast rating up after, uh, you know, those RCMP trolls were, uh, you know, making some noise. That's all we have for this week. Uh, I still have written down we're on Apple Podcasts. Now the bit is dead. I should really update these podcast notes. Um, we, we are still working on the Google thing, so I should also update for that. But um, there is still that bit. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, the, at Bucket Problem. Go to thebucketproblem.com. Subscribe to the newsletter, which is now over 1,000 subs. I am under some pressure. Uh, and subscribe, rate, and review with the podcast. Use the promo code BUCKETPROBLEM at homefieldapparel.com. And have a great week. Thank you for listening.